Hey folks, I want to take a minute and talk about one of this week's sponsors, Buffy. What is Buffy? Well, Buffy makes super soft, earth-friendly bedding because a comfy night's sleep is even comfier when it doesn't harm the environment. Buffy brings you everything you need from cult favorite comforters to pillows and sheets to turn your bed into a calming comfort zone. I will tell you, I have a Buffy comforter on my bed and what I like most about it is that it is not only soft and breathable, but it also doesn't have any weird smell to it. All of their products are made with recycled fibers and cool to the touch eucalyptus fabric that's softer and more breathable than cotton to keep you at an ideal sleeping temperature all night long. And I don't know about all of you, but I hate getting hot when I sleep. And if you get hot when you sleep and you have air conditioning, then you end up using more energy, which is harmful to the environment and harmful to your monthly bill. So if you're not under a comforter that breathes and gives you a good night's sleep, well, then you could definitely improve your sleep experience. The best thing about Buffy is you can sleep with Buffy bedding in your own home before buying it with a free trial, free shipping, and free returns every day. So feel for yourself why over 17,000 customers have given Buffy five stars. And for our listeners, you can take $20 off with the code CAMERA at Buffy.co. That's $20 off by using the code CAMERA at Buffy.co. So what are you waiting for? You can use Buffy's free trial and find out what kind of sleep you've been missing. And like I said, I use this on my own bed and I love it. So check it out. And remember to use the code CAMERA at checkout for $20 off. Hey folks, Sam Jones here. Welcome to another edition of Off Camera, the show where I get to talk to iconic, creative, curious artists and find out how they got that way. And in this episode, I sit down with somebody who I've been chasing since this show began. I can't tell you how many emails went back and forth with things like, hey, let's talk after the summer, or I'm in North Carolina right now shooting a film, or I just cut my beard, I don't feel great about it, let's talk in a few months. And this has gone on for a long time, to the point where I almost gave up. And then a few weeks ago, I just decided to take one more shot, and I emailed my friend, comedian, actor, and fake talk show host, Zach Galifianakis. I got an email back five minutes later saying, let's do it. I will never understand people. (laughs) But I love Zach. I think he's a true artist, one of the funniest people in the world, and I'm so excited to have him on this show. You know, Zach had his big moment of success a bit later than most. He was a stand-up comedian with a small but loyal following. But when the massive hit comedy The Hangover came out, his life drastically changed. And I think I'm partially responsible for that because Zach and I met when I photographed him for the poster for The Hangover. So I think 0.005% of his fame is due to my perfectly adequate pictures. But you know, at 40 years old, Zach was unaccustomed to throngs of fans and he was honestly perplexed by the attention that was brought on by fame. As he says, no one wanted to hear me speak or ask my opinion until I got into the movies. That doesn't make any sense. Zach's down-to-earth life approach likely originated with his family. They were a naturally funny and supportive crowd who encouraged Zach to follow his dreams from an early age. After school, he moved to New York City to find an acting coach who could take him under their wing and provide an entrance into the business. Success was not imminent, though. As Zach says, I worked for an uncle who managed a restaurant called Tequila Willie's, where I had to wear a sombrero and pick up my tips off the kitchen room floor. 
Have you ever been on the kitchen floor on your hands and knees picking up quarters with a sombrero on? It's very uplifting, especially when you're still a busboy at 28. Well, Zach never found his long-sought-after acting coach, but instead discovered stand-up comedy in the back of a burger restaurant and never looked back. Even with his roles in big-budget films, Zach continues to take on interesting, outside-the-box projects, whether it's the Netflix movie adaptation of Between Two Ferns or doing impromptu stand-up at a steakhouse in Pasadena. This happened like two weeks ago, I swear. Over the course of our conversation, you'll realize Zach's honesty and modesty is as endearing as it is hilarious, as awkward as it is intimate. Zach joins off-camera to talk about his favorite Between Two Ferns moment, his mission to take the piss out of celebrity, and why you should dress up as a witch and go find him on the streets of Venice if you want to have a nice 10-minute conversation. So pull up a chair and listen in. Hi, Zach. Sam. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me. Can I do my Between Two Ferns opening? Yeah. Hello and welcome to Off Camera with Sam Jones. That's good. I'm your host, Sam Jones. And my guest today is Zach... What is it, Nate? Uh, Glickapanakis. <laughs> or as they called me in high school, Galifaganakis. Galifaganakis? Yeah, you can use that one. Thank you. Uh, from the uh, show Between Two Friends. How was that? You know, you could work on your awkwardness. Really? That which wasn't is awkward really, enough? really good, weird note to give someone. Uh, no, that was good. You know, the good thing about the Between Two Ferns is uh, you don't really have to know what you're doing to right. interview anyone except have the uh, audacity to ask really, really bad questions. Do you ever step outside yourself and go, are they buying it or are they... Or can you just be in the moment when you're doing stuff like that? Um, as, as far as Between Two Ferns go, goes, I think that once we start filming it, once I sit down, I kind of get into this trance type thing, I guess, where I'm, part of me is, knows that I have to say a lot of these bad things to people. Right. They don't know what I'm going to ask. They don't ever know. No. When we interviewed Hillary Clinton, we did this thing with her. I had a fax machine right. next to me. I said, okay, well, we have some viewer mail, um, <laughs> and it comes through a, through a fax, right. mail. So she had to sit there for 45 seconds waiting for this. <laughs> and I'm, I'm making small talk with her while it's going on. I think she's actually getting perturbed now. Right. And I'm making small talk. I was like, what's your favorite color? She's like, blue. And finally the fax comes through. I mean, the noise of the fax machine. I'm like, okay, we have a... A question from Katie in Atlanta. What's your favorite color? And that was my favorite because it was so long, and, but we could never f work it in the edit for some reason. It was, but on it by itself, it w is really, really funny that this, uh, this very, uh, uh, you know, this presidential candidate is waiting for this fax to come through. <laughs> it's uh, the and I'm holding the power ever. there. <laughs> right. Well, I do see you as a master improviser, but I would imagine most of the people you have on, they're not that. Right. Like, they're, they're literally, sit, they're uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And you probably want that, I would assume. I don't want them to feel uncomfortable um, at, in a pranky way, like uh, as if I'm pranking them. I want them to be, feel that they're part of this thing and it's making fun of them and showbiz in general and the celebrity culture. Right. And I never mean to hurt anyone. And I actually tell them, Hey, if I say anything, just 
it's okay. I like, we, we don't, right. I'm not here to hurt anyone's feelings. But if you can take it, that would be wonderful. With Hillary Clinton, they didn't want us to bring up the email thing. And we said, okay, well, we won't do it. Oh, that's interesting. But you did at the end. Well, my point is, it's not that important for me to do it. If she, if they, if we have to bend for whatever reason, it doesn't work. Even with President Obama, we were, we, I mean, we were, there were some tough, weird questions to her. Yeah. I'm not gonna. What was the question you were most nervous about? Was it? Well, that was what I asked the speechwriter. I said, has he seen that question? And was that, how does it feel to be the last black president? Yes, and the writer goes, yeah, I think, I think so. Meaning like, you know, he didn't see that one. I Whose remember. Whose team was the speechwriter on? He was great. The speechwriter was this great guy. He got it. He was so helpful. But in that moment, it was, uh, I remember thinking, you know, you want to be respectful. You do. He's yeah, the president sure. of the United States. And well, in that case. <laughs> um, it's hard for me to talk about that because I live in Trump Tower. Um, <laughs> but um, we've never felt that that show got compromised, meaning the between, we never really, I've had people ask me to, uh, I had a very well-known actor, I want to say who it is, told me he was going to edit his piece. Really? Mm -hmm. And I just basically had to say, well, it probably will come out online anyway. I don't, I mean, you can edit your version if you want, but there's another version that's going to come out before then. So, you know, the ego part of it yeah. in this business, I can't quite figure it out, but you would think that I would know more about that because I've interviewed a lot of big names, but you know, the normal people, they want to be made fun, they, they, they're, they're fun, they, they come on to be made fun of. They come on because they're in, a, in on the joke. You know, I've been asking you to come on this show for six years. Mm. Why did it take so long? Well, it has nothing to do with, it's nothing against you, Sam. No, I know. I don't know, interviews, I, to be selfishly, can I just say, I wish I could just be in things and no one ask me about it. Yeah? Because to me, the magic and the mystery of it is just if you don't know too much. And I think we're losing that more and more because we so want to talk about the process and this and that. Look, I'm only going to ask you process questions from now on. <laughs> well, I've always said, who needs Ambien when you have a comedian talking about his process? You know? <laughs> I think things are funny. I write them down, and sometimes they work, and sometimes they don't. I mean, you know what I mean? But as far as interview, I'm pretty private. Uh, I don't do social media. I don't believe in it. I think it's bad for society. And I just, as far as being interviewed, selfishly, that's just, you, when you're pursuing this thing, you, I think when you're younger, the fame thing seems like, oh my God, they're gonna give me free champagne and a limousine. Oh, dreams come true. And when you're older, it's like, well, that stuff's silly. Yeah. I just want to work. And so the, 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 whatever that word celebrity is, I hate it. You know what I mean? I yeah. just see myself as a dumb actor that just wants to do his little part and not have to talk about it much. I will say this. No one wanted to hear me speak or ask my opinion until I got into it on the movies. Right. And I think, well, what? that doesn't make any sense. Right. Nothing changed. I didn't get they, smarter. I didn't get any smarter <laughs> at all. Uh, so why are you, why do people, why am I important? You know what, I just have never bought into that. Just because right. you've got a little success, that doesn't mean you are, you're just 
you're there to entertain people. Like I, I, it's why we have a celebrity president. There's too much onus on celebrity. It's crazy. A lot of cultures are not like this. Yeah. And it's bizarre that we're like this. As I say in a, during a celebrity interview. Well, I, but this one though, this is this is the way I think it. Like this is this is an honest approach to what I'm talking about. But sometimes I just think that. And I also think when a lot of entertainers are overdoing social media and tweet, 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 I think there's something missing from their lives. Yeah. I, I do. How much attention do you need? Was that ever a thing for you? Was, was being drawn towards comedy, wanting to make people laugh in a room, was the goal attention or was it to make I don't better know. art? Or As a kid, you realize, oh, I can make people laugh. And if you're in tune to that, you try to nurture it. And then if you have good parents, like I did, they encourage you to nurture it, and they nurture it with you. I came from a very supportive parents and a very warm family. A lot of comics do not come from that. Yeah, that's true. So my perspective is a little different, I think. To me, if I could make a living making people laugh, I knew that at an early age. I knew, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. You did? Yeah. I also saw the, the guy that whistled the Andy Griffith theme song. He came to my school as an assembly like in third grade. Wait, the actual guy that's on the The recording. real guy that whistles. And that he, was the level of celebrity that was coming to your school. And I was like, God, I hope I get to meet this guy. I could not believe that there was a human being that just showed up with not even a briefcase and whistled for a living. And students were like this. And I remember it, and it must have sunk into me. Not that I want people to look at me like that, but you know, it was, it was a moment. Well, you know, it is funny because when I started this show, you were the first, or the first two or three people that I thought of. I thought, I feel a kinship with this guy, I like his humor. And to your credit, you never told me no. No, it's not a no. It, it's it was just, just more creative ways of saying, you know, after the summer, my, after my hair grows you know, out. When, we, when, we, when the Mars rover is done, Sam, <laughs> yes. I just really paying attention to the Mars rover. Um, That's right. But yeah, I'm... Uh, when I'm, we put a colony on Mars... Well, I watched your... I watched clips of it, and I, I, I think that's what is appealing about your show, is that it does seem to... Uh, the Oz, the, the man behind the curtain type thing is not there where it is often in show business. You know, there's big personalities and, you know, the, but when people are actually together, the regular, regular people. Yes, and I felt that with you. In fact, I remember once we did a shoot for something. Was that our Playgirl shoot? That was Playgirl. That's right. And, and we had the, the uh, popsicle sticks and the... Uh, like turn-ons and turn-offs. The glue kept, like, not sticking to your leg. Yeah. And, um, and afterwards, you didn't have anywhere to go, I think. Oh, I never do. <laughs> there was a liquor store across the street. You said, do you want to have a bottle of wine? And we sat at the photo studio until they kicked That's us right. out. That's right. Yeah, I just, remember that. Yeah, and it was, I thought. Well, I don't drink anymore, so I am oh. so boring. Well, that, yeah. that cancels There's, our you plans. Go get a, you <laughs> you want to go get a You want to go get a Schweppes? <laughs> There's a, <laughs> a Schweppes. There's a wheatgrass bar. Oh, God. <laughs> No, but, but, you know, growing up, I had a few friends that really knew how to hang out. Mm. And in a way, I think there's probably some of that social aspect to being a comedian, too, that comedians are good at sitting around and, 
and really not doing anything and having a great time doing it. Comics with other comics are good at that. That's comics what I mean, yeah. with non-comics are, it's, that's a weird mix. Like, even yeah. comics will tell you about that. Like, I feel like I can mingle pretty well with people, but I've had some comic friends and then actor types in... What happens? Well, <sighs> comics are strange and wonderful ways that I love. And sometimes actors are... Actors. <laughs> and... Uh, <sighs> I don't know. There's, there's a certain amount of uh, taking one seriousness, uh, taking oneself too serious it, that maybe goes to the acting realm more than the comedian realm. That's why actors should win awards. Comedians, they look at awards like, what are we in high school? Right. Like, what are we going to reward art? One's better than the other. That's how I see it. But actors <laughs> more buy into that. And, and by the way, I'm. I'm not to say that I'm not, I'm not saying that what actors do or don't do is not important. I, I feel like getting emotion out of people and storytelling is so incredibly great and what a gift and wonderful. But you wonder about that. Like, is that? Well, it's probably money. It's probably just a money maker. That's why they give out trophies. Well, I do think that comedians see people and see the layers of things more and by nature of having to figure out what makes something funny, the byproduct is they figure out a, a, a deeper understanding of human behavior. Well, I think what comics and comedy can do, in whether it's towards people or towards a subject, is that comedy is really good as the BS detector. And it's, you can use comedy. It used to be music. The musicians were the ones that used to talk about the wars and the way we shouldn't be in war and stuff. The comedians became that. I'm not talking about myself, but I'm talking about like the Bill Mars, the Janine Garofalo's, you know, Patton Oswalt. Patton got kicked off stage when he was talking about the war in Afghanistan. Because, you know, we were all pretty united and then we weren't. Right. And I think during that time, comedy got very important. Yeah, no, that's, I was not that's part true. of that, but th there were ways to be political even in absurd humor. Well, you and may not be part to... of the political humor, but I feel like your comedy is extremely challenging. It may not be in that current event political way, but it challenges the way we look at ourselves. One of the things that I, I, that I think that is uh, an interesting social uh, experiment is as a comic, people have already turned off. Um, <laughs> uh, he just said interesting social experiment. <laughs> what's, on, what's on Bravo? Do we have any... <laughs> any corn I can eat out of a can instead of watching this short, Jeez. bearded, fat piece of shit. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, the social experiment that I've noticed is um, interesting that I have done jokes that uh, live have... <laughs> I'm trying to make up a new story in my head. <laughs> to make it more interesting. No, I'm sorry. I mean, how many tumbleweeds have come come across since I've been here? <laughs> just said. Oh, God. I am. I, I, like, I'll talk to my wife, and she'll just glaze over. Like, <laughs> within 30 seconds of the conversation. Um, no. You would think it would be more dynamic. <laughs> um, but one of the things that I find is interesting is, and my mom used to do this to me, or she would laugh at something I said and then reprimand me afterwards. Really? And I would tell her, like, you can't, you can't do both. You have to choose. Are you, are you in disagreement with the joke, or do you, is your initial thing to laugh? 
So I would, I would see that in audiences where I would, I would say something and I would hear, like there would be a pause and then there would be, a, they couldn't hold it in. And that to me is a really, that's a challenging thing to do, to try to make them judge what they just laughed at. Right. I mean, I don't like to dig too deep into what, what I'm doing on stage, but that is something that I have recognized that is kind of a fun thing uh, to do. I was with Sarah Silverman the other night and we were backstage and I told Sarah, I was like, hey, I was thinking about saying this when I open up. And Sarah Silverman was like. Really? I mean, Sarah of all people was like. What was it? I, I don't want to reveal it because it won't work in this. Right. But it was pretty like jaw dropping to hear it, like it, between two people. I didn't take her advice and I did it anyway. You did. It worked, but she was right. Like it, it's one of these things where you don't, and there's many times where I've done that and it just, it falls flat. Do you ever worry about that? Like, am I one bad judgment away from this well, whole career living, going away? We're all, well, we're living in times now where that's a really tough call. Yeah. And then sometimes I get frustrated with that as a comic. I'm like, well, just loosen up. You know, we're just, this is how some people communicate. Yes. Through humor. Yeah. Now, you might not agree with the sentence that just came out of my mouth, but it's to a bigger point. So it's, it, it's tricky, it, it, it's tricky. You, these days I think you can say something that, um, that could get you in trouble, but there's a great book uh, called Amusing Ourselves to Death that was written in 1983, and I bring it up a lot. And what this guy, Neil Postman, says in this book is, you will stop hearing the term big brother because we will do it to ourselves. And that's exactly what's happened in oh, our society. That's interesting. And, and that, to me, that's social media. Yes. Big Brother, because and look, now cops should like, be filmed. Don't get me wrong. Cops should be, they yeah. need to be accounted for. But this filming of each other all the time, and it's, I don't know what, and we never stopped to think about it. Yeah. I don't know. I did a show a few months ago in East Pasadena at a steakhouse. My career is not really where it used to be. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's really a nice place to perform, but... Um, Did you really do this? Yeah, I do open mics as whenever I can. You still do? Yeah. I didn't know uh, And uh, they were filming, the guy up front was filming, and, and I just politely asked him to stop. But, but you should know that people these days, especially people younger than us, they don't know it's not cool. No, I know this. They think, oh, you don't want to be filmed? Right. No, I... No, no. I don't want to be filmed now. I'm on a friggin' show. <laughs> Sorry, Miss well, Kate. Thank you. <laughs> well, getting back to that idea of what are the inherent qualities that someone has to have to become a great comedian? Is there some philosophy you have about what you kind of have to have inside you to be able to really hold a mirror up to society? Like, Well, I feel like there's a lot of different types of comedians and a lot of different types of comedy, just like music. Yeah. Just because you're a comedian does not mean you have to hold up a mirror to society. Sometimes you can fall down, and that's what, that will get a laugh. I've made a living kind of making fun of myself yeah. in a way. And there's this great comic. Uh, she did this uh, special. Nanette, have you seen this? No. The point in her special is like, and I don't want to speak for it, but... It's, it's an interesting thing because, and I, it's been a while since I saw it, but she's, she's like, hey, I've been making fun of myself. And how does that reflect on other people that are like me? And it's a, I was like, oh, God. Now I've got to stop making fun of myself. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> but it's an interesting point. It was a, such an interesting point. Like, 
hey, we're using ourselves as jokes, but does that mean it's okay to laugh at people? You know what I mean? It's, 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 it's interesting. It is interesting because it says, are we a collective or are we individuals? Right. And uh, for me, yeah. it, was, it was really, I got lucky because um, I grew up in a, f my relatives were funny. My brother, my sister are funny. Humor is held very high. My cousins were all my uncles. My aunt, they come from like a funny, not that we were trying to be, but there were skits growing up. There was like always performing. And I saw the joy that that brought to people. And like I said earlier, my parents nurtured that nature. Yeah. They were like, hey, you can do anything you want. My dad said that all the time to me. Who is the harder one to get a laugh out of, mom or dad? My mom's my favorite person to make laugh because she's the ultimate person where she laughs very hard and then, Zach. <laughs> she's like, I love that. I love she, still at this, to this day, guffaws laughing at some of the things that I say. And she's easy, she's easy. Anybody can do it. But she's my favorite person. My dad, he was Benny Hill. He liked the physical He wanted to fall down. Yeah. So, my mom had this real, like, has this, um, even though she's a, it's a very, it's a very, very Southern lady, she laughs at very inappropriate things. My dad was not like that. He thought that was disrespectful to laugh at inappropriate things, which makes it even more funny. It's funny because you say that and I go, oh, there's the DNA of your comedy. Because you have a mix of this slapstick thing that you do. Mm -hmm. And then the, let me see if I can get the inappropriate laugh out of someone who didn't want to laugh at it. Right. I mean, I like jokes, but I also don't mind falling down, like for right. humor. But it's weird. Do you have both of your parents still alive? I do, yeah. They're, they're in their 80s. They're in their 80s. Yeah. Wow, good for you. Yeah, and they're still together in the same house I grew up. Wow, good for you. Yeah, my parents. Well, I didn't do anything. They're just well, still living. No, good for you, good for your parents, good that you get to enjoy them. Yeah, it's It's like the bonus round now, almost. Yes. Yeah. Well, when you, and I don't mean to talk about something. There's no more punishing. But it'll be, I hope to see you after, I don't know how to put this. <laughs> you hope to see me after my parents are dead? <laughs> Will you call me when your parents die? <laughs> no, I don't know how to. <laughs> Do you know what? I'm not a, going to because I heard that Bradley I, Cooper called you after his dad died and that didn't go well for you. Did he? Did I tell you that story? Something about uh, he saw. Oh no no that was uh, no no that was when he broke up with when he had a girlfriend break up. Oh okay. He what called me it? in his hotel room. Uh, we were in the same hotel. He goes, "Hey, can can you meet me in the lobby?" I go, "Okay." I could tell he's upset on the phone, and uh, he had a movie called Limitless out, and he goes, uh, "Can I talk to you?" I'm like, "Yeah, what's going on?" He goes, "Well, me and so and so broke up." And he was, and I was like. And Sam, I could, I go, oh, did she see Limitless? <laughs> I couldn't, it was like I couldn't help it. Like, it's like, oh, it's in my brain, I gotta say this. <laughs> and he, for a second, he went, and then he starts smiling. Like, you, you, that's what, that's the point that I'm talking about. That's my way of going, it'll be okay. It will be okay. It's not, the timing's real off. <laughs> real off. But it's, I look at it a bit of a lifeline too. Like here's here, you're upset now. Let me make you feel better in this moment. But when that doesn't work, you've 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 made it a really bad situation. <laughs> but going back to you wanting me to call you when my parents die, the, uh, 
I wish there was a more poetic way of me putting that. <laughs> but what, I, what I, I guess I wanted to say is that I'm interested in talking to people after that happens to see what shifts in them because right. there's a shift that happened to me that I did not. Did you lose both your parents? No, just my dad, who was the greatest, nicest, most supportive human being that I've, I mean, just, like, just, 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 like, sweet to my dad. Just, like, he's, you enter a room. Good morning, Sam. Like, if you stayed at our house, it was good morning. What do you want to eat? Like, just that kind of human. But when you get, when they go away. What happened when your dad passed away? I'll tell you off camera. Okay. Well, this is off camera, so go ahead and tell me. Oh, yeah. Oh, I've never even thought about off camera. Jesus. God, I'm clueless. It never even dawned on me. Oh, yeah, we're not on camera. No, it's not. So, anyway, my dad. They've all turned off by. I, I, but I, in all seriousness, it is something that uh, is probably not good for cameras, but it is something that I, uh, it, uh, I, I, I'm interested in hearing from people about that. Because it, it was not given to me, that knowledge. Hey folks, let's take a little break from the conversation so I can tell you about one of this week's sponsors, Acuity Scheduling, a Squarespace company. Acuity is the scheduling assistant that works 24-7 behind the scenes to fill your calendar and takes hours of work off your plate. From the moment clients book you, Acuity is there to automatically send booking confirmations with your brand and messaging. They deliver text reminders, and they let clients reschedule on their own, and they process payments so your day-to-day runs smoother even as business gets busier. All you need to do is show up at the right time. Again, I have to pop in here and say... How much building my own career would have been easier if I had access to all of these tools that are available now? I mean, when I came up, the internet was sort of a pleasant distraction. There were no smartphones. Now it just seems like with these amazingly innovative companies like Acuity, they've taken the hassles out of so many parts of running a business. And Acuity has cornered the market on making your scheduling easy. With Acuity, you never have to ask what time works for you again. Clients can quickly view your real-time availability and self-book their own appointments, and they can reschedule with one click. They can even pay online. And with the ability to manage multiple locations and employees, class bookings, private sessions, add-on sales, and even recurring subscriptions, Acuity can adapt to any business. And Acuity acts as a great database. You collect everything you need to know about a client as soon as they book by asking clients to fill out intake forms when scheduling, keeping all of their information neat and tidy in one place. And with Acuity, you get notified anytime a new appointment is booked. You can check your schedule right from your phone and even tell Acuity to automatically update the calendars you already use, like Google, Outlook, iCloud, or Office 365. Acuity keeps your entire life in sync. So save yourself from the day-to-day drudgery of having to keep up with your clients and your busy schedule by using Acuity Scheduling. And for a limited time only, you can get 45 days of Acuity Scheduling absolutely free. That's no credit card required by going to acuityscheduling.com slash camera. That's acuityscheduling.com slash camera for 45 days of Acuity Scheduling absolutely free. Now back to the show. So I am curious because you've had such supportive parents. I'm curious if you had to run any kind of the gauntlet that I did going through middle school and high school mm. and what your struggle was in your school years if you had great supportive parents and a big happy family. Uh, in high school, uh, in junior high, there was a there was a certain amount of bullying that uh, I got. Uh, 
Were you always short, or did you, you just stop growing at a certain point? <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. I mean, can you think of a more euphemistic way of saying that? <laughs> so, have you always been five foot four? <laughs> By the way, I'm not five four, I'm five seven. <laughs> um, but here's the weird thing. I know that I bullied a kid, too. Really? Yeah, there was one kid, and I saw him in an airport bathroom about four years ago at a urinal. Really? Yep. That's karma. That and is I evidence I waited for him to stop peeing, and I followed him out of the bathroom, and I said, hi, Scott. My name's Zach, Zach anyway. He knew who you were at that point, I'm I, assuming. Well, he, we went to high school together. Like, he would, I mean. Right, of course, yeah. Because I was still short. <laughs> and uh, I said, I've been thinking about you, because bullying was starting to come up, and the, you know, we were all talking about it, and I was like, I have thought about you and I feel so bad because I feel like I bullied you. And he goes, no you didn't. I was like, oh God, he doesn't remember. <laughs> <laughs> but he either repressed it, or maybe I didn't as much as I think, I don't know. But so, I, I, for me to talk about me being bullied and stuff, I bullied too. I think kids that get bullied, it's a, it's a circle. Yeah. It's simple. Yeah, it's it's a, pretty it's simple. Cycle for sure. And bullies are ultimately cowards. They just are. If you call them out, they're really, really cowardly people I, I've noticed over the years. Our president is the biggest coward in the world. Just cowardly. So there's this, I don't know, bullies need love. That's what they need. Yeah. Um, so I didn't know until I read about you that when you initially went to New York after college, you didn't go to be a comedian. You went to be an actor. Is well, that true? Yeah, I think eventually I wanted to be able to be an actor. Uh, uh, stand up was something just was just too. It just wasn't, but it was there. Meaning like Letterman and Eddie Murphy and yeah. But as far as moving to New York, I wanted to have that experience where I just moved to New York and I found a great acting teacher, and they took me under their wing and I was going to learn all these wonderful things. That never happened. I just knew I wanted to try to see how to get into it, uh, but it was with no knowledge. So you didn't have a aunt in New York? That... I had an uncle who worked at a, who managed a restaurant called Tequila Willie's where I had to wear a sombrero uh, and pick up my tips off the kitchen room floor because he would throw my tips at me. Uh, he would? Yeah. Have you ever been on the kitchen room floor pick, on your hands and knees picking up oh. quarters with a sombrero on? Oh, that's it's very uplifting, especially when you're 28. Because <laughs> I was working as, as a busboy until I was 28, 20 something like that, yeah. What picture comes in your head when I ask you at your brokest in New York and most despondent? Uh, I was very, very broke, very broke. But I came from a middle class family. There was a safety net, you know what I mean? If I really needed it from my folks, there was like I could move back home. A lot of people don't have that, but my parents were very cool about that. But I did not want to ask them for money, and I didn't. I, did, I mean, my dad used to send me irregular, irregular underwear in the mail. I'll never forget. I'd be at the post office, like, oh god, hopefully this is some food or like a snack bar, or something. Wait, and what's I'm, irregular underwear? There's ill-fitting underwear. Something was wrong with the machines. Oh, so he'd get them at a discount? Yeah, I'd be like, oh, God. And I'd open it at the mail in New York at the post office, hoping, and you could tell by the weight, but, and they were just irregular. They're called irregulars, underwear. And, um, but, 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 so I was p broke. Uh, I used to walk, because I didn't have subway fare. I used to walk to perform. But I was not of this, oh, my God, if I 
if I don't make it, I'm going to be ruined. I, I didn't have that. I didn't put that pressure on myself. How did you find stand-up when you were in New York to act? Uh, so this woman I met, uh, who who became a friend of mine, had moved to New York to become a stand-up comic, and she goes, "You know, you you should try stand-up," and. I did, and I did it in the back of this hamburger restaurant in Times Square. And after I was done with it, that was the that was the acting coach I was looking for. Like, oh, I found the I, I found the thing. One thing. You mean the audience and the experience was the acting coach you were looking exactly. for? Exactly. That's so. Your vision was I want to I want to be in a place that I want to like, attach my something to something that feels right and natural, and the acting. I mean, I had acting class, class, uh, teachers that were telling me to stop doing my s- sketches during classes. They're like, this is not, I don't know what you're trying to do, but this is not working. So would you come in going like, this is really good, and then get yourself knocked down by an acting? Look, there's good acting coaches in New York that don't know what that, that, that know what they're doing. There's bad ones that don't. Sometimes you can, like, I'm really stupid. But with that kind of stuff, I can tell when people don't know what they're doing. You know what I mean? So... I never got, it, it was a bummer that I never found that elderly acting coach that would take me, you know, really, but stand-up replaced, like, I got the bug immediately. And, you did. Because I'd moved to New York and stayed for a couple of years, not you know, in and out of acting classes, doing plays in basements of churches, getting yelled at for my performances in those Oh, God. <laughs> and then not having a direction and auditioning for commercials, but not having a real, certainly not an artistic or, or an artful thing. Not that stand-up is necessarily that, but stand-up. Uh, and I was going to clubs before going on stage. I was Just going, watching. I mean, I used to see Ray Romano at 3 in the morning at, uh, uh, at the Comedy Cellar in front of three people and thinking, like, oh, that's what you got to do. He was great. And he was so, already Ray Romano. No. Oh, he wasn't no. Ray Romano at that no, point. No, I think he was a substitute teacher at the time. Really? Mm-hmm. What do you think it was that grabbed you and made you feel like this is my place? It felt more in line with just myself in a weird way. Uh, it felt more in line with, more. I felt more comfort in that than the acting stuff. Do you remember the first bit you did? Yes. Like, the first one you did where you're like, oh, that's me. I really have something here. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I've, I've, s- I've never said that about myself. And any... Really? Uh, wow, Zach, you've really done it. You've really got it this time. I have never had that confidence. I wish I... I, I will say this. I will say this, though, and I don't know if this is exactly what you're talking about. It wasn't what I was doing on stage where I thought, oh, I noticed the reaction in the crowd was getting... They were getting it more. They were my absurd, weird, whatever. I was learning how to communicate it better. And I realized that that, I I was becoming a better communicator when I was doing like some of these bigger shows. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm getting away with things that I didn't know I could get away with. This audience is is following me. Was there a thing that you came up with that was a breakthrough in terms of? Yes. Yeah, what was that? I was telling jokes for a long time, and then one night at Largo, there was a piano there, and I have always faked that I can play the piano. Not well, but I can play only melancholy music. Happiness does not come out of my body musically that way. And I 
sat down and I started doing my absurd jokes under this serious soundtrack. And that combination was, uh, people, I don't know if that had been done, but that form was, um, it's limiting, because you have to be quiet and you can't really, there's only, there's a certain way, at least for me, and the way I was doing those jokes was in Congress with the music, meaning it's very one note. It's very, so it became limiting, and that's, I think, why I stepped away from, uh, the viewers are back. Uh, I was just talking about my career and uh, the ups and downs and, you know, when I discovered myself. Uh, but uh, I think the piano eventually became too limiting and I kind of stepped away from it. But I, uh, I do play the piano uh, every day in my house. I love it. Hey, folks. Let's take a little break from the conversation so I can tell you about this week's sponsor, BetterHelp. Now, if you're an artist and you're trying to make a living in this crazy world of entertainment, or if you are a business owner, or you are an entrepreneur, or anybody who is trying to carve their own path, then you know that the mental side of it is 90% of success. And if you're like me, you've done some therapy in your life to try to figure out where your obstacles are and where some of your baggage comes from. And I think if I've learned anything, it's that there are always roadblocks that prevent us from happiness or from achieving our goals. And that's why I've gone for years and tried to figure myself out, because I don't think you can be successful without really knowing yourself first and achieving some level of self-awareness. And now there's a really interesting new way to do just that. And it's called BetterHelp. BetterHelp is online counseling, and they offer licensed professional counselors who are specialized in issues such as depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, all kinds of things. And you can connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. And of course, anything you share is confidential, and it's obviously really convenient. So you can now get help on your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus you can chat and text with your therapist. And best of all, if you're not happy with your counselor, you can request a new one at any time for no additional charge. Because truly finding the right therapist is half the battle. And best of all, it's a truly affordable option. And for off-camera listeners, BetterHelp is offering 10% off your first month by using the discount code CAMERA. So why not get started today? Go to BetterHelp.com CAMERA. You simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor that you'll love. That's betterhelp.com slash camera and use the code camera for 10% off. Now back to the show. You know, my first job ever, I got a job being a fry cook at Kentucky Fried Chicken. We'll be right back with the world's worst bragger. (laughs) (laughs) That's an old go-to I do. Go ahead. Um, I lasted three weeks. And then I read that you lasted at Saturday Night Live for two weeks. Yes. Is that even possible? Like, is that, is that well, the truth of that story? No. So I think what they do, and I don't know exactly if I have this right, but I think what they do is they, they hire writers sometimes on a trial basis. Right. They come for two weeks. If we really like you, we'll keep you, I guess. I don't know. I was being hired because I thought I was uh, going to be a cast member because I'd already auditioned once or twice. So they don't tell you when they... My agent at the time probably just had some bad information. I don't know, but I got there and I was like, God, I cannot believe I am going to be on this show. And Maya Rudolph and I got hired at the same time. And was that sort of a dream at that point? You'd be doing stand-up at 
in New York and Sam, I'm embarrassed to say I yeah, it was that was I'm not embarrassed to say that was a dream, but Saturday Night Live that was a big deal for me. Do you really? remember what you did for your audition? I think I did a two I did a really bad stand up uh, from the 1700s <laughs> that I used to do on stage. So I would just do like um how are ye? How are ye? <laughs> is this thing on? What is this thing? Like, and then I would complain, complain about electricity. It was just really. So I think that's. I think that was my. I think that was my audition, and then just regular stand up. But anyway, I didn't get it. Uh, well, I thought I got it, but I got to New York, and then I realized quickly I was writing, and you know, you try to f- figure out how to fit in, and. It, but it's impossible. It's very cliquish, as it should be. That's how business, like, you're the new person. It's kind of up to you. Hopefully there's somebody at the water cooler that says, hey, man, how can I help you? Are you, you, having, are you having a hard time finding your way? It, that didn't happen at Saturday Night Live. I don't think I would go up you to a young person, person and go, hey, maybe I would now, maybe. But I will say this. Tina Fey, God bless her. God, I'll never forget this. After I... They read my sketches at the table read. You know, there's 70 people there. To say it was silent, like it was like, I heard, I remember like it was so silent, I remember hearing the AC, like it shut down during the middle of the sketch. One you had written. Written, cast members are reading it out loud. And I remember what it was. What was it? It was a sketch that Britney, I was, Britney Spears was the hostess and I had written a sketch that Will Ferrell was gonna be the bodyguard to her belly button, because her belly button was everywhere. <laughs> it was ridiculous. Anyway, there was no response. I mean, and I just remember Tina, who I was sitting next to, I just remember her putting her hand on my shoulder like, it didn't feel sarcastic. It could have been, but in my mind, it was her going, it's okay. I mean, obviously, human beings don't like when they say something and people are like, what? It's just a really bad feeling. Yes. It's just like, it, uh, fake it, other human beings, to make that person not feel bad. Right. But I will say, I think since I had done a number of years of stand-up already, I, that skin was developed. It bombed me out, don't get me wrong. But if I had not bombed so many times on stage already, uh, sometimes... You're just not funny, and maybe that sketch wasn't funny. Do you feel that way sometimes? There have been nights where I'm driving home, and I'm like, Zach, I mean, what were you doing? But it's not that bad. Like, it's okay to fail. It's, you should fail. You have to, even if you're gonna be a carpenter, you're gonna fail. If you're gonna, it's just what you do with that failure. But to fail publicly, I think. To fail publicly. A lot of people can't handle that. No. There's a certain amount of embarrassment that I can take as long as I've in, if I, as long as I put it on myself. If other people put that, oh, I can't do it. But if I have control over, I'm okay with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, you have you have to know that you're going in show business, especially with something like as vulnerable as stand up. Just know that you're going to fail, and it's really good for you. I'm so fascinated by that, uh, that idea that stand-up became that that fictitious acting teacher that you always wanted. I've never thought about that until we talked, but I think that, I mean, th- I, that's easy for me to say that that was the moment where I, 
I didn't think about that acting coach anymore because I found it in this. And by the way, the community of stand-up in New York was so fun and bizarre because the open mic scene had, like, you'd see nurses still in their outfits coming off their shift to do their jokes. And it was this real weird mix of New Yorkers coming together. So the community of stand-up was really kind of cool and a bunch of oddballs. But yes, that was the muse that I needed was stand-up. Would you say that you had to learn that discomfort was part of it? Well, discomfort in real life, I, I'm like, I don't like it. Like I, I don't like it at, when something's uncomfortable in real life. It, it makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> it, it, but on stage or when you're acting in something, it's funny to highlight those awkwardnesses because we all live, we, we, we live them. I mean, we, we do. Right. It's the truth of. It's the truth of it. Yeah. And like, honestly, we'll see with, you know, the Between Two Ferns movie and stuff, it could be, it could be passe at this point. It really could be. And I, that doesn't offend me because comedy changes. I mean, all you have to do is look at the, and America specific is very interesting because it's like, we're such a comedy nation. And I, I really yeah. feel real proud of that about being an American. I do. Um, yeah, then he went off on some weird proud to be an American rant. And then he had Lee Greenwood come in. <laughs> proud to be. So, um, proud to be an American. What was I saying? You were saying that oh, as comedy. a nation, we are <laughs> funny. We're, we're a funny group. Should we and, stand up while we're. Where's the flag? Is that comedy comes in waves. So what I was saying about awkwardness and, and insult comedy, which is what Between Two Ferns kind of is. It's, yeah. it's the combination of the two. You know, that could go, that could go away. That kind of humor could, because we could grow as a people and we're like, oh, we don't understand that. And that's fine. Because that's when comedy has moved us forward. Right. Well, I think Between Two Ferns is interesting because you keep coming back to it back to this particular thing. Well, there's thing. no commercialization so to it. So it's your purest I'm thing. from the feeling that commerce follows art. Not the other way around. We ain't following you. We're not interested. Commerce always follows art. So the Between Two Ferns is the simplest, most... It, it was not lost to me when I was interviewing David Letterman uh, when we were doing our little song and dance with him. He paused and he goes, this is, this is the way comedy should be done. Really? He goes, because there's, basically you're saying there's low stakes. You know what I mean? Like, there's a few camera people. There's not an audience. You know, right, we can, right. it's intimate. It's real intimate. And, you know, when there's a big, big noisy show and Pepsi and da-da-da, it affects it. It yeah, does. For it sure. affects it. You can't say that. For sure. That's why we tell our audience to be really, really quiet. Because I don't want people to know we have an audience. Yeah, we have, uh, there's, God, 700 people are being this quiet. It's amazing, isn't it? I didn't notice they were all signing before we... <laughs> um, but Between Two Ferns has been just, it's just such a um, dream situation because uh, I get to be as ridiculous as I, as I am allowed and, and my brain will let me do. And the guests have been all so great and cordial about it. And it's, it's also me f trying to knock down celebrity as much as I can because I can't, I don't agree with that part of our culture. 
Do you know what's interesting is when I watch that Purple Onion special again, right in the middle of it, you say, I hate celebrity. Was I saying that back then? And then you yeah. said it again, I hate celebrities. And there is some irony involved in the fact well, that you do this show now, but also that what your career so, blew up. What happens with, those, with humans, though? And I'm sure I've been guilty of this, it, even in the way I talk. But somehow people are like, I don't understand where human beings are like, man, you've made it. You've made it as an actor. You're entitled to any, any behavior. This town and its forgiveness of celebrity and blah, blah, blah. It, it, it's something that I think is so dishonest. And so there's no culture in celebrity culture. Is that what keeps you coming back to it in terms of there's always fertile ground in trying to understand that phenomenon? Well, I don't know. I mean, it, it, I, I like doing it because I like working with Scott. It's an easy thing. Scott to, Ackerman. Scott Ackerman. Is that his last name? Yeah. Um, <laughs> he is easy to work with and and we you know we've been doing them over so if the opportunity is there we'll do one if we can figure out like oh, here's the other thing Sam is that there is a worry that you run out of tricks and does that does that mean go do something completely different and see if you get away with it I, I don't know so you know I'm kind of cognizant of like my bag of tricks and and the audience's like appetite you know what I mean my kind of humor less <laughs> I've always said, less is more. Like, I've never thought I could be the lead of a movie, and I can't. They, like, my movies don't, they bomb. And I'm just telling people that they should not hire me as the lead. I am better to be like a little weirdo that comes in and does the little song and dance here and there. I, I've been so lucky that I've had a career. That, that, like, when I moved here, I was... There was no way I had a career. There was no way. My friend, when I went shopping for a car, he's like, all right, get a truck. I'm like, well, I don't want a truck. He's like, you need to buy a truck. I'm like, why? He goes, well, and he wasn't, like, he wasn't even doing it. He was doing it out of practicality. He's like, we're probably going to be homeless in a year, <laughs> and you can sleep in the back of the truck, just get a top for it, and then, you know, put a pillow in it. And I'm like, yeah, that's not a bad idea. Like, I'm, like, yeah, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> So there was no, so this whole thing is a surprise to me. It is. I, I, to me, I got real lucky. Todd Phillips saw me do stand-up, asked yeah. me to audition in this big movie. Then we made the movie. As we were making the movie, I was like, oh, this is good. Like, I didn't, hadn't have never had that feel, feeling before. So he, you know, I, got, I, got, I just got lucky. I just, I got real lucky. And I think a lot of people do. They get lucky. This town is full of, of people that can do what I do. And as far as comedy, I kind of look at it as a younger person's game. I mean, when you look at what Hollywood produces comedically, it usually tends to go younger male. Well, I mean, I way grown out of that kind of, that I don't want to do, that's not of interest to me. I was grown out of that, even when I did The Hangover, I was like, okay, I'll, these are movies I would never watch, but I'm in them. <laughs> like, I've never seen Animal House. You're kidding. No, I haven't seen a lot, I haven't seen Porky's. Did you see Hangover 3? I read the book. <laughs> the book's much better. And also, I mean, you get the sense, and I'm like the oldest person, and everybody's single. Like, it's a younger person's showbiz in general, especially comedy. I don't know. It's okay to age out of it. What do you do next? Well, I don't know. Where's, is there a Baskin Robbins near here that's taking? 
applications? No, I, th I think it's an interesting thing to think about that because, especially in light of The Hangover, because that that is lightning in a bottle type of movie. I remember, that's where I met you, and then when that thing blew up, I just thought, boy, Zach must feel like this is the greatest thing that ever happened to him. Well, that's where I'm like, I don't feel like actors are, are honest with the public when they talk about fame and all that stuff. Just, Will you be honest? I'm gonna, I always try to be as, as, I, as much as I can without revealing my height. Um, <laughs> so, had that happened to me, had that, that hangover when I was 25, I would be like, let's party! <laughs> like, but I was 40. Yeah. And I was pretty, like, I had a personality, I knew who I was, and I was not about to go play the, be the 25-year-old version of myself, I was just trying to be honest. I was threatened by it because I, I thought I couldn't, I was not gonna be able to be funny anymore because I was gonna be suffocated by trying to leave restaurants because people people just sit down with you. Because you were 40 and unknown. You had an anonymous yeah, but life I had, for I the had, most part. And I, yes, and I, but it, and I, had, I was doing stand-up yeah. and had a few people that knew my stand-up, a very few. Right. And that was really the very good comfort level for me. And I'd always heard like, oh God, your life is gonna be wonderful. Well, I don't hang out in the Hamptons. That doesn't interest me. That wasn't like, you? No. Like, that might be good for all the, the pretty people. Like, I've got successful. Let's go put on a fedoras and go to the Hamptons. That doesn't seem interesting to me. Or, or any of it. But I also thought, oh, the biggest bummer for me was, oh, I'm not gonna be able to observe people like I used to and sit in the corner with my dumb notebook. Because that, if I'm speaking honest, is a big shift that's hard on the person you're dating, right. who ended up being my wife, your family. My family used to love it, and then they were like, oh, God. Like, they got annoyed by strangers just sitting down with they, us. So literally, people just sit down at your table. With oh, you. because they think they know you. It's, a, it's an asymmetrical relationship. Right. And they also think you're the person. So people were sending me drink. I got drinks sent to me because it's the Hangover movie, right? And and if you admit to people that you're the person, I've gone to a Halloween. I was in a downtown Halloween party in Albuquerque, and this kid was dressed just like me. I was dressed like the real me, and I was like, but he was dressed like the guy from the Hangover. And I go, "You're me." He goes, "Yeah, right." And he just like when you tell them that's you, they don't believe you. <laughs> it's so weird. So. The whole, you know, my brother and says, my dad and mom are like, your attitude is bad, Zach. They, they, they were like, you're lucky. And, and they're right. My mom said, she goes, well, you should have been careful what you wish for. That's what she said to me when I was complaining about the tour. I was like, well. And then eventually she got it because, she, she, you know, she, over the years or two, she's like, oh, this is, a, this is an inconvenience. Right. Let me just, let me What's the opposite of preface? Uh, suffice. Let me suffice it by saying I'm incredibly appreciative. I, I also, with pictures, like with social media, like I just don't do it because I don't believe in social media. I don't. I would love to talk to people for ten minutes and really have an exchange with them instead of like a photo for their face. But no one's interested in that. Well, not now. They will be. Now you told them. <laughs> I'm not interested in that either. <laughs> Let's be clear. I was speaking metaphorically. Oh, the message boards are lightning, lighting up. God, now I just want to hire people to go up to you and do it so you can be like, wow, that show is popular. 
<laughs> just send people to Venice. Just I got, this is a real thing. This happened to me in the spring. I'm holding my son outside on the sidewalk. I don't know why I'm out. I'm just out there. Sometimes I go out in the morning and I'm just like absorb, like absorb the day. But anyway, there's a guy who is dressed just like a witch. I mean, pointy hat and green makeup, just like a witch. And he's walking down my street with a 12 foot pole. Not a broom. I, I can't stand up, can I? I'll well, squat. Well, you're, you're yeah, short like enough, this. maybe, that yeah, you're- Okay, st- so ready? And he's dressed as a witch. He sees me and he goes, oh my God, Mr. Galifianakis, I must look crazy. <laughs> and I was like, yes. But I didn't say anything, he goes, I am such a fan. And he explained to me that he had been in in and out of mental institutions, that my movies had helped. That honestly meant so much to me. Something about that exchange meant more than just a regular thing. Like, hey man, like you're... I don't know, there was a connection there with me. And honestly, a lot of mentally ill people have come up to me and said something like that. And I take it only as a good thing, I do. I don't know why they're all mentally, (laughs) you know, maybe they've misunderstood some of my humor, but um, I don't know, That, that, that exchange, if the person's interesting, I love it, but. um, But if they want to buy you a beer and bro out. No. Be your brosif. I'm not good with small talk. You have to be dressed in green paint and have a pointy witch hat and also be named Aphrodite. Now I'm just gonna hire a bunch of people and dress them as witches. And you're gonna be like, Sam, your show is blowing up. You should ask for more in your next contract. <laughs> My wife's like, why, where's Zach? Is he outside talking to those witches again? <laughs> yeah, he's talking about his craft. <laughs> Witchcraft? <laughs> no. Wait, witchcraft? <laughs> Witchcraft are you talking about? I wanna ask you about Between Two Ferns Oh, we're still doing the interview? Yeah, we're just gonna finish up oh. here. This is the last thing. I was getting all comfortable, finally. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I do think that what Between Two Ferns does at its core is it allows us to all accept that celebrity is weird. And I think one of the themes that comes up in that show is being good looking is your ticket to almost anything. And that is, that's what Hitler believed. <laughs> a certain look. And we as human beings believe in that to an extent. That's why there was only good looking people on TV for a while. No, we don't want to watch ugly people. Get them off my fucking TV. I mean, there is a certain degree to that. Like, hey, human beings like to look at other nice looking human beings. What does that say about about us? I think it says that we are shallow. shallow people. Did you get called not good looking as a kid? No, there's so many, so much of that question. Okay. There's a point. Well, first to of it. all, as a child, I didn't look like I do now. <laughs> we galvanized if 30 good years, and then after the 30 year mark, <laughs> you know, that's when the mustaches come in with the ladies and the men get the guts. Um, I was not. Uh, what was the question again? It was such a great question. 
Were you not, what was it? Were you called not good looking? <laughs> <laughs> No, I, well, I, first of all, I feel like you're asking that question. The question is, Sam, if you had any, if you were brave, would be, were you ugly as a child? <laughs> <laughs> but you're saying, were you not called good looking? You're, when I've seen John Hamm, Brad Pitt, Bradley Cooper yeah. on your show, there is a theme of would people see how bad of an actor you were if you weren't as good looking? Mm-hmm. And it comes up enough that I wonder if that was something that you know, came from personal experience. I think over, I think what I think over the years it's been uh, that that attitude is something that I have often thought about as uh, with human beings because I just think like we're just primates still and we think we're these superhuman people but we're we haven't we've evolved but it's also important to know that we haven't evolved that much. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's part of the problem where we haven't evolved much is is like we're still looking at the outer shell of people. And I think the the, the evolved human is more interested in the, the brain and the heart and that kind of thing. Uh, but this is a visual uh, medium that we're in. And so I think to get people to view pe- other human beings, to look at other human beings, they're, they're like, oh, well, we gotta get the pretty and good looking ones, that's a good, more, I mean, it's, it's, it's common sense, but then again, there's a dark part to it. There's a darkness to it. Yeah, yeah. even in like, like when you cast children, it's like, this is strange, like they, like they go for the, the, real the, the one that's gonna be a good looking adult of it, it's like, just cast a child, you fucking perverts. <laughs> No, well, Zach, it's you acting weird because you're saying that the nine-year-old is going to be a really good-looking 23 <laughs> Well, look, to close this out, I think what Between Two Friends does for me is it shows that if we all just said everything to each other, we'd maybe all be a lot closer. You know what I mean? Like, there is something joyous about being able to tell the truth to somebody and find out it's okay, or to be able to be silly and to not be so careful. right. That's what I like about Between Two Ferns is there's a playfulness to it that it's just a joke. You know what I mean? A lot of it is just, just, is really just trying to get pheromones in people's bodies to be released. It's chemical. It's, it's, it really is. It's like, I want to do something that, that lets people view it and then their chemistry in their brain makes them feel better. Well, Zach, I get pheromones released. Every time I see you. Those are unpheromones. Do you know, as you age, you look like Martin Mull and John Goodman. We'll be right back with the world's worst complimenter. <laughs> Martin Mull. John Goodman, no, I'll take those. That's an improvement for me. I thought you were going to say, like, as, as I age, I look more like Tyrese. <laughs> now, that's somebody I'd like to look like. Yeah, wouldn't we all? Martin Mull. you got a little Martin Mull around your eyes. Oh, those are called crow's feet. <laughs> They're not called Martin Mulls. <laughs> No, I, I actually appreciate what you said to me right before we went on the air, which is that this is your last interview ever. And to make it my show and to commit to that, I appreciate that. Yep. So thanks for uh, thanks for watching me all these years. Yeah. But I've got to go do other shit with my life. Is this the big send-off? <laughs> like, no one's watching this, Sam. <laughs>
Hey folks, that's our show. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did and tune in six years from now and maybe Zach will come on again. If you haven't already gone to Netflix and watched the Between Two Ferns movie, well, I recommend you do that right away. It's hilarious, it's awkward, it's weird, and it's available right now. So check that out. Also, I would recommend watching his special Live at the Purple Onion, which is also on Netflix and came out way before The Hangover fame or any of his other movies. And it's amazing to see how innovative he was as a comedian back then before all of this stuff happened and changed his life. So check all that out. There's also sort of an obscure documentary called The Comedians of Comedy, and that's worth looking up as well if you want to take a deep dive into Zach's roots. And if you want to take a deep dive into our roots, I would suggest you go straight to offcamera.com because Off Camera is a podcast, a television show, and a magazine. And you can find out all about that at our website, offcamera.com. And you'll also find out that our television show is on DirecTV's audience network. It's on ATT UVerse. It's on Sky Arts. It's in Australia. It's in New Zealand. It's in China. But most of all, it's right there on the website. And if you don't have DirecTV and you want to see what you've been hearing, you can get our $4.99 monthly subscription, which allows you access to over 200 of our episodes that you can watch anytime, as many times as you want on any device. It's a great way to really get into the show. If you're loving this as a podcast and you haven't subscribed yet, well, what are you waiting for? Hit that subscribe button. And while you're there, take a minute to give us a rating and a review because that helps more people find our show. And by subscribing, it'll help you never miss an episode. You can also find us on social media. We are Off Camera Show at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And I am Sam Jones on Twitter and Sam Jones Pictures on Instagram. And on my Instagram page, you can see a lot of behind-the-scenes photos from this very show. So check all of that out. I want to give a special thanks to Crawford Shippey, Nathan Shields, Michaela Galvin, Sasha Snow, and Kara Johnson, who put this show together every week and keep us going, finding new guests, editing the shows, working on the website, pumping out the social media, transcribing the conversations. There's a lot of work that go into these shows and couldn't do it without all those fine people. And I also want to thank you for tuning in. If you're a new listener, welcome. And if you're a returning listener, I really appreciate you tuning into this whole experience. We've been doing this show a long time now, and I love knowing that our audience is made up of a bunch of creative people that are on their own path to a unique career in the arts, whether it be photography or filmmaking or music or writing or dancing or acting. It's just exciting that I can be a part of this community of artists who are figuring out their own way to make a mark on this world. So I really thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in each week. And on that note, be sure to join me next time when I sit down with actress Beth Beers. You know, I've always been someone who really thought it was important to preach about taking up space in this world and how so many times, especially as women, we're meant to be so small. And right. I felt like I wanted to write something to empower people to really take up space and be who they are and be okay with that. We had quite a heart-to-heart -heart about the gauntlet that an actress has to survive in this town on her way to success. But we go further. We find out that life can be even harder post-success. And in Beth's case, a network sitcom was not the answer to all that troubled her. But Beth decided she was going to do something about it and subsequently wrote herself a life manual that became her first published book. In it, we find out what happens when an uber-ambitious, type-A personality starts meditating, eating right, and riding horses. Well, the proof is in the pudding, as they say, and I found Beth's story inspiring and fascinating. See you next time, off camera.